Let us all turn to the Word of God together. It's the book of Genesis today. Genesis chapter 16. You're singing that hymn there, Henry Barakoff, if it was pianist in the great gospel campaigns way back in those fruitful years when there were seasons of revival. The evangelist Wilbur Chapman, he was preaching on that text that belongs to him there. And the pianist was so affected by the message, so overwhelmed by the word, by the picture of Christ, so to speak, that he couldn't help but put pen to paper and he wrote out that memorable hymn that you've been singing out of the ivory palaces. And praise the Lord for the love of Christ and guilty sinners, the salvation by grace that he bestows. It's Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. May be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. It's like a new chapter here as we get to verse 7. Where life was changed, circumstances were changed. There's a revelation of the Lord. It's like a testimony, isn't it? You could nearly write your name into it concerning your own salvation. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And Shur lies just beyond Israel on the outskirts of the land of Egypt. 
the land from which she came at the start. Here's the angel of the Lord speaking in verse 8. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid. You see, he, he knows her. He knows who she is. The Lord knows everything. Whence comest thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beer Lachai Roi. Behold, it is between Kedish and Bered. And Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael. Abraham. May the Lord bless his word today as it's read and preached and use that word in testimony to his great name and his saving grace. Amen. Genesis chapter 16 this morning, and we're going to look at this chapter, but primarily thinking about the theme of the words of verse number 7. Genesis 16, verse 7, but really thinking about the whole chapter. But verse 7 records it. And the angel of the Lord found her, that is Hagar, by a fountain of water in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness the wilderness. Between now and the end of the year, in the will of the Lord, we want to consider some of what the old theologians call the Christophanies of the Old Testament. Those times whenever the Son of God appeared to people, manifested Himself before them, and spoke to them, people with great needs in their lives. And the Lord personally came to certain individuals, and there's so much that we can learn 
in our Christian lives from those times whenever the Lord visited his people in Old Testament scriptures. Let's pray together. Let's open our hearts afresh to the Lord and pray that the Lord will speak to us this morning and in the weeks in the will of the Lord that lie ahead. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice today in a living Savior who is able to meet each and every one of us in the road of life and speak to our hearts and lift our burdens and give us grace and help. And it is our prayer this morning that our Lord will draw near to us and that he will speak to each and every one of us and that, Lord God, our hearts might be blessed and our lives might be transformed. We pray that even this morning in this place that this might be a new beginning for some in this meeting. Lord, I pray for the help of heaven. Pray for the infilling of the Spirit of God. Ask, Lord, that thou wilt hide me behind the cross. Uplift and magnify our Lord Jesus Christ. And grant, O God, that blessing might be our experience. So, Lord, lead us now on with thyself. Open the Scriptures to our hearts and our hearts to the Scriptures. We pray with thanksgiving for thy glory. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Many people in this day and generation that we live in restrict the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the New Testament. Some seem to be under the illusion that the person and work of our Savior and the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ is restricted in great measure to the four Gospels. But friends, that is not the case at all. At the end of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, whenever two discouraged saints were making their way to a little village called Emmaus, the Bible says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But yet their eyes were holed and their eyes were blinded, their eyes were closed momentarily, that they should not know him. And that is the experience of many. Sometimes the Lord draws near, but we do not recognize him. And many people as well do not recognize the Lord as he is revealed in the Old Testament scriptures. And because those two saints there in Luke 24 were downcast and discouraged and disappointed, the Savior drew near, went with them, and then the Bible says he opened the scriptures and beginning at Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible commonly called the books of Moses, the law, and then in all the prophets, he spoke unto them the things concerning himself. And so the Lord Jesus Christ himself expounded the Old Testament scriptures and showed himself to be the center and the circumference of the message of the Old Testament. And the Bible says that as those two saints listened to his words, their hearts began to burn within them as he spoke to them by the way. And it's a thrilling subject to look for the Christ in the Old Testament scriptures. And it's even more thrilling whenever the Lord draws alongside us and he opens his word to our hearts. 
and opens our hearts to his word. And whatever you're going through this morning, you might be a discouraged Christian. You might be a despondent Christian. You might be a distracted Christian. You might be a diverted Christian. You might be a disappointed Christian. You might even be a depressed Christian. But if the Lord can draw alongside us today and open the Old Testament Scriptures to our hearts, and if we can see Christ in the Old Testament and hear His voice speaking to us through the Old Testament Scriptures, I believe too that our hearts might burn within us. And that the Lord can warm our hearts and revive our hearts and encourage us by the way. Didn't our Savior say in John chapter 5 and verse 39 to the Pharisees and the doctors of the law, search the Scriptures. And of course he was pointing to the Old Testament Scriptures because the New Testament Scriptures hadn't yet then been written. So search the Old Testament Scriptures. For in them ye think that ye have life, and they are they that testify of me. Jesus Christ is eternal. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And yet he is also the center and the circumference of biblical revelation, Old Testament and New. Now it's right for us to consider that time in history whenever the Son of God was made the Son of Man. And we think about his incarnation in Bethlehem. And we think about his earthly ministry and his preaching and his teaching and his great work of atonement and his glorious resurrection and his intercession for us at the Father's right hand and the promise of his coming again. But it's also thrilling to think about those times whenever the Lord appeared before the incarnation between Genesis and Malachi to many of the Old Testament saints. There is such a thing as theophany. Whenever God manifested himself in a physical way in Old Testament times, you have it in the pillar of cloud, in the pillar of fire, you've got it in the burning bush, and you've got it many times in Old Testament scripture, God manifesting himself making his presence real and tangible and felt and seen and known and experienced in Old Testament times. But then to be a little bit more concise and a little bit more clinical, there were times whenever the Son of God, the Word, appeared in a physical way, in a human form, in Old Testament story. And we often call that Christophany. Whenever the Son of God appeared in the form of a man, but not so much with the nature of a man, but manifested himself in a physical way so that he appeared to certain individuals. They saw him. He spoke to them. He met them at the point of need. He veiled something of his glory, but nevertheless and appeared in a physical and yet in a temporal way prior to his incarnation in Bethlehem at the beginning of the New Testament. And he often intervened in a special way in the lives of individuals in this remarkable way in Old Testament Scripture. Now the prophecy of Micah has a remarkable verse. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. 
And it's a lovely verse that speaks of the Lord's coming into this world. But there's so much more in it. Listen to what it says. Micah 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem. Now the word Bethlehem could be translated the house of bread. And the bread of heaven came into this world and was born in the house of bread. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel. And that's deeply significant as well. Ruler in Israel. And then the verse ends with the words, Whose goings forth have been from old, even from everlasting. Now the words there translated goings forth could also be rendered exitings whose exitings have been from old or from ancient times and even from everlasting. So it seems that even the prophet Micah is acknowledging and recognizing that in ancient times the Lord appeared. The one that is to be born in Bethlehem appeared and entered into this world in ancient times, times gone by, and made his presence felt and made his presence known. And it's a thrilling study to look at some of those times in the Old Testament whenever the Son of God appeared in human form. And we're going between now and the end of the year as the Lord leads and tarries to consider those times whenever the Son of God literally and physically appeared as a man to certain men and women in Old Testament scriptures. We're not going to think about dreams or voices or visions so much, or the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire, but those times whenever the Lord appeared as an individual and met individuals at the point of need. And the very first Christophany that we have in the Word of God is the one that we have read about in Genesis chapter 16. Whenever the Lord appeared to a woman who had great needs in her lives, her name was Hagar. And it says in Genesis 16, 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. And I believe and I believe we can prove it now that this is a Christophany. And there are three things that we're going to consider about this Christophany. And we're going to use the same sort of template week after week just for the sake of continuity. The context of the Christophany. And then we're going to think about the characteristics of the Christophany. And then we're going to finish by briefly thinking about some of the consequences of the Christophany. Notice, first of all, the first six verses, the context of this Christophany, the events that led up to verse number seven. The angel of the Lord found her. But what had gone on before? How did she come, this woman Hagar? How did she come to be in the wilderness by this fountain of water? And what was it that prompted the Lord to come personally and physically? and appear to her and speak into her life. Well, verse number one begins with a trial of faith. Sarai, or Sarah, we could call her. Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. But she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. A trial of faith. Now, God's people can and often do very foolish things. 
Sometimes we act in the flesh. And sometimes we turn to human reason and human methods to try to shoehorn the promises and plans and purposes of God into our lives. God had promised to Abram and Sarai a son. And that son would grow up to become a great nation. But God had given that promise several years before. And Abram and Sarah were getting old. They were getting on in years and And they were still barren and there was still no appearance of of this little baby that God had promised. And now, as far as Sarah is concerned, the fulfillment of God's promises in her life and the provision of a son seemed to be absolutely impossible for God to fulfill. Abraham is 85. Sarah is 75. So how could God possibly fulfill his promises in a physical, natural, or biological sense? It seems that the thing has gone on too far now. And Sarah and Abraham's faith in the word of God and in the promise of God is being shaken. And I believe we are living in days whenever many of God's people, their faith in the Word of God is being shaken and tried and tested. And sadly, many now are turning away from the Word of God and turning to other things to try to get God's work done and God's will done on earth. In 1 Peter 1, 7, God's servant Peter talks about the trial of faith. And I'm sure there are some here this morning and others listening in online and you're going through a trial of faith. And you think about your home, you think about your family, you think about your own circumstances as as an individual. And then you look maybe at the work of God and the things that God has brought you into. And it seems that many of God's promises for fruit and for results and for blessing presently, as you see it, are perhaps not being fulfilled. And Sarai has now become ashamed of her barrenness. And she feels that something must be done. She's becoming very impatient. God's promises haven't come to pass in the way or in the time scale that she expected. And now unbelief is taking root within her heart. And she's becoming impatient and she's wondering what can be done. And she begins now to turn from walking by faith and walking in the Spirit to walking by sight and walking in the flesh. Friends, that's not how God fulfills His promises. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, which is a chapter that really exalts the finished work of the cross and the sufficiency of the Word of God. Hebrews 6 and verse number 12, it says, Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, God has given to Abram and Sarah promises. But patience is running out and faith is is waxing low. And maybe you have been praying and you have been waiting and you have been working for the Lord and yet His promises have not yet been fulfilled in your life in the way or in the time scale that you expect. 
And so there's a trial of faith. But not only a trial of faith, but in verses 1, at the end of verse 1 and verse 2, a temptation to sin. Verse 1 ends with the words that Sarai had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And in verse 2 she says to Abram her husband, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. God has not opened my womb. God has not given me a child. God has not fulfilled his promises in the way that I expected. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And foolishly, Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah in this regard. Somebody once said, faith is living without scheming. That's a good definition of faith. Faith is living without scheming. If God has given a promise, and if you and I simply honor God, and walk with God, and honor God in our lives, we do not have to try to manipulate or manufacture or shoehorn the promises of God into our circumstances or use our circumstances or our plans or our works or our schemes to try to get the will of God done. Paul said that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And now Sarah and Abram are no longer living by faith and they're, they're trying to force things. And Sarah now is scheming. And she says to Abram, I've got a handmaid, Hagar. We got her down there in Egypt and he knows her well. And evidently she's a lot younger than Sarah. And so therefore it's still humanly possible for Hagar to bear children Sarah doesn't feel that that's possible for her. And they bring this Egyptian girl into their circumstances to try to get the will of God done in their lives. And many of you will know that Egypt in the Bible is a type of the world. And really what they're doing is they're bringing in the world into their circumstances because they're no longer living or walking by faith and they've lost patience and they're bringing worldly methods into their lives and into their labors to try to help God to fulfill His promises. But friends, that's not how it works. Isaiah 31, 1 says, Woe unto you that go down to Egypt for help. Sarah's priority now, in verse 1 of Genesis 16, is simply that God would give her a child. Her priority is not for the glory of God. That might be a byproduct, but primarily she just wants to look successful. She just wants to look fruitful. She wants the blessing of God rather than the God that, that gives the blessing. And you'll notice that between verse 1 and verse number 2, there are no prayers that went into this. There are no biblical principles employed. It's simply Sarah's good idea, Sarah's big idea. This will get the work of God and the will of God done. And she takes matters into her own hands and tries to manipulate things. And if you like, give God a little bit of a helping hand, because now her faith is very small and God is not able to fulfill his promises. And oftentimes we can be exactly the same. We get away from God's Word. 
we divert from God's way. We never think all that much, perhaps, about God's will. And Abram took Hagar, concubines were common in Old Testament times, but God never really endorsed them. The idea of concubines and mistresses and polygamy and all the rest of it was something that came out of the custom and culture of Egypt and the Ur of the Chaldees. But it was not something that God instituted. And whenever Jesus Christ came into the world, he had to set those traditions right and reinforce that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And so there's a temptation to sin. And then there's not only the trial of faith and the temptation to sin, but the trouble that ensued. Hagar conceived. And soon she will give birth to a little boy, and his boy, this little boy is going to be called Ishmael. And you'll notice there in the text of Scripture, verse number 4, Abram went into Hagar, she conceived, and when she, that is, Hagar, saw that she had conceived, her mistress, Sarah, was despised in her eyes. Hagar became filled with pride, and she sort of looked down her nose at Sarah, as if somehow God has blessed me more than he has blessed you. You're barren, I'm becoming fruitful. And this spirit of competition enters in between Sarah and Hagar, and Hagar begins to despise Sarah, and she becomes proud. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 10, only by pride cometh contention. That's a very explicit verse. Only through pride cometh contention. And where you have division or strife or trouble or contention and people against each other, you can look at all of the manifestations of that and point the finger of blame to actions and things that have been said and done. But the root problem is the problem of pride. How does Sarah deal with this problem? Well, in verses 5 and 6, she spoke to Abraham about it. She says, I've been despised and in her eyes. And then verse 6 says, Sarah dealt hardly or harshly with Hagar, and Hagar fled from her face. You know, the reality is, if you look at verse 1 and verse 2, Sarah's plan was bound, bound to create big problems. Because it wasn't according to God's will, and it wasn't according to God's word. Friends, we can step outside of God's will so very easily. And we can lay aside the principles of God's Word to one side very easily. And we can employ fleshly carnal wisdom and worldly methods to our lives and our problems. And oftentimes the result is an absolute mess. Abram and Sarah are a little bit like the church at Galatia. They had begun in the Spirit, but now they're sort of going on in the flesh. And many Christians, born again of the Spirit of God, walk with God and keep a close eye on the Word of God and pray about things. And then they get so wise in their own eyes that they begin to lapse back and employ old fleshly methods. And very often it ends in an absolute mess. 
So there is the context of the Christophany. Then verses 7 through 12, you've got the characteristics of the Christophany. Verse 6 ends with the words that Hagar fled from Sarah's face. Verse number 7 begins with the words, The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. In verse 7, you've got the intervention of the angel of the Lord. Isn't it a beautiful verse? Doesn't it thrill our hearts? Hagar has become despised. She has been treated harshly by God's people, by Abram and his wife Sarah. Abram, the father of the faithful, the friend of God, in a moment of foolishness, has treated this woman that they have brought into their circumstances, brought into their lives. They've despised her. She has fled. But God found her. The angel of the Lord found her. Friends, this morning, God is interested in the lonely. God is interested in the afflicted. And this world and this society of ours and this nation of ours is filled with people like Hagar who have been hurt and used and abused by churches and by Christians. And they have counted the whole thing a fraud and they have gone back into the world disappointed with their experience with professing Christian people. But I'm thankful today that the Lord is able to find such people. And maybe today you've been hurt in your Christian life. And you have been hurt by professing Christians. And you have discovered that sometimes God's people can be foolish. And God's people can be very proud. And God's people sometimes can despitefully use you. And that's what's happened in Hagar's life. But the Lord, praise his name, intervened. Hagar had fled. And it's evident whenever you consider where she was going, as Mr. Douglas pointed out in the reading, the, the wilderness by the fountain way to Shur. She's heading back, you see, to Egypt. She's going back into the world, going back to her old life. And many today are going back into the world that are brought up in Christian homes and brought up in evangelical churches. And they, they maybe don't see much reality. They maybe don't see people living by faith and praying and experiencing the presence and the power of God and the fulfillment of His promises in their lives. And they bring the world in and they think, well, if this is what the church is, I might as well just go into the world. Because the world is in the church, and the church is in the world. But notice it says, he found her by a fountain. She's thirsty. She's like the woman at the well in John 4. She's thirsty. And maybe today you're thirsty. And she's not only by a fountain, but she's in the wilderness. She might be expecting a child, have this little child with her in her womb. But her spiritual experience is one of barrenness. You know, it's a working picture, isn't it, of Luke 19, 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And my burden today, and I'm sure many of you share it, is that the Son of Man would come to this city, come to our homes and our families, and come to those of us that are thirsty and barren 
and just meet us and meet our nation and our land at the point of need, the intervention of the angel of the Lord. I'm glad today that I have a Savior, a God that intervenes. But notice also not only the intervention of the angel of the Lord, but the identity of the angel of the Lord. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, and he said, Hagar. So he's speaking to her. And he appears to her as a man. She's not alarmed by this person coming and speaking to her. But if you go to verse number 13, it says, And she called the name of the Lord, or the name of Jehovah, that spake unto her, Thou God, seest me. So the angel of the Lord is described in verse 13 as being the Lord that spoke to her. This is God manifesting himself in a physical way, clearly a pre-incarnate Christ. A new Orthodox Bible commentator seems to differ. The angel of the Lord is revealed many times in the Old Testament. Genesis 22, 16. The angel of the Lord is revealed as Jehovah. Genesis 31, 11 to 13. The angel of the Lord is revealed as the God of Bethel, the God of the house of the Lord. Exodus 3, 2 and 6, the angel of the Lord is revealed as God. Judges 6, 22 and 23, Gideon recognized that the angel of the Lord was the captain of the Lord's host of the Lord God, or most explicitly in Judges chapter 13 and verse number 18, it says that the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Why askest thou thus? after my name, seeing it is secret. And the same word that is translated secret is translated wonderful. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when it speaks of the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The pre-incarnate Christ, His name is Wonderful and the angel of the Lord identifies himself as his name being wonderful. So the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice as well the interview with the angel of the Lord. Notice in verse 8 that he addressed her by name, Hagar. He knew her. And friends, the Lord knows you by name this morning. He knows who you are. And He also knows where you are. And He also knows what you are. And He also knows how you are. He knew that in that wilderness there was a girl called Hagar who was hungry and thirsty and barren and disappointed and discouraged and downcast and lost. And He went and He met her at the point of need. And then it says in verse 13 that he had spoken to her. So whenever the Savior, the Christ of the New Testament, appeared in Old Testament times, it was to reveal himself in a special way, to meet special needs, to communicate special truths, and to accomplish special tasks. 
Notice in this interview the question that he asks in verse 8. Whence camest thou? Hagar, where have you been? Where are you coming from? What has brought you out here into the wilderness? Now he knows, but he's asking this question that she might be honest with herself and honest with him. And then the second question is, Whither wilt thou go? Where are you going to go from here, from this point in your life? Just where I have found you. Where are you coming from? Where are you now? And where are you going to? And friends, those are very important questions for each and every one of us. And maybe this morning that's the question that the Lord is asking you. And you have got discouraged and disappointed and diverted and distracted. And you're no longer in the place with God where you once were. And the Lord comes to you this morning and says, Where have you come from and why are you in the place where you find yourself now? You're not where you once were. What has gone wrong? And where do you think this is all going to lead to if you keep pursuing this course of action that you've embarked on? You're running away from your problems, running away from your responsibilities, leaving the house of God, and going back to Egypt, going back to the world. Is that you this morning? Is that the question, the questions that the Lord is asking you today? Notice Verse number 8, her confession, she's absolutely open and honest with the Lord. She simply says, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. Openness and honesty before God. David realized whenever confronted by the prophet Nathan, as he gave himself to prayer, Lord, you desire truth in the inward parts. There's no point playing games with God. There's no point going on pretending that I'm really walking with God and in the place of blessing. I am fleeing because of something that has happened that has discouraged me. And all sorts of things have been said and all sorts of things have been done. And I'm fleeing, I'm running, I'm in the wilderness, and I'm just going back to Egypt. And there's honesty. There's a question in verse 8. There's a confession in the second part of verse 8. But as the interview goes on, there's a command in verse 9. The angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands. Now that's going to take a lot of humility. That's going to be very, very different and difficult. Return. Go back. Turn around. Retrace your steps. Don't run away from your problems. Things will not be any easier in the wilderness. And they'll certainly not be any easier down there in Egypt. You have made mistakes. You're not blameless. Abraham and Sarah are certainly not innocent either. But turn and go back, and even if it's difficult, seek to put it right and try to fix it with God's help and with God's grace. Are you running today from problems? Running from responsibilities? Running away from mistakes that have been made? Return and then submit. That speaks of obedience. 
Fulfill your duty, fulfill your obligations. The old hymn writer was right. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And whenever there's a question, and whenever there's a confession, and whenever there's a commandment, in verse number 10 through 12, there's also a promise. In verse 10, the Lord promises to make of Hagar's son a great nation. You have it in chapter 21 and verse 18. I will make him a great nation. Promise of a nation, promise as well of a son. Verse number 11. Behold, thou art with child and shall bear a son and call his name Ishmael. Now the name Ishmael means God hears. There's his name, Ishmael. But in verse number 12, you've got his nature. His name in verse 11, his nature in verse number 12. It says, he will be a wild man. Now, if you have a marginal reference Bible there, it might say in your margin beside the reference, a wild man, he shall be a wild ass or a wild donkey of a man. Now, a donkey is a very stubborn animal. And the angel of the Lord is saying, He's going to be called Ishmael, that's his name. But here's his nature, he's going to be wild. He's going to be stubborn. His hand will be against every man, every man's hand shall be against him. And he will dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Or as it might say in your margin there, he will dwell over against or to the east of his brethren. He's going to be filled with hostility. He's going to be marked by haughtiness and also by hatred. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And the angel of the Lord has appeared to Hagar. And after Christ was born in Bethlehem and the canon of Scripture was complete, the angel of the Lord no longer appears in this manner. But this is the first time in Scripture that the angel of the Lord appeared. You've got the context of the Christophany. You've got the characteristics of the Christophany. And then in verses 13 through the end of the chapter, the consequences of the Christophany. And you've got the immediate consequences. Hagar's response was one of obedience. She returned. She went back. She submitted herself to Sarah. It was a new beginning. God is the God of new beginnings. And I'm sure there are some here this morning and others that are watching in online and others that will listen in at some other time. And what you need right now in your Christian life is a new beginning, a new encounter, a new start with God. He's the God of the new beginning. And right there, she names in verse number 14, the whale, Beer Lahiroi which literally means the well of the living one who seeth me. The well of the living God, the living Christ, who sees me, who listens to me, who speaks into my heart and into my life. Beloved, this morning we have a living Savior, one who sees you, 
One who knows you. One who is able to meet you in your life this morning. Whoever lives to make intercession for us. And it's evident from verse number 15 that she has returned to Abraham. Hagar bare Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name which Hagar bare Ish, Ishmael. So she returned. She obeyed the voice of the Lord. And that return was difficult. It involved repentance. Turning around. It involved restitution. Trying to put things right in as far as she could. Maybe making an apology for the things that she said and the things that she did. And Sarah maybe having to do the same as well. It involved reconciliation. No longer running. Humility. There's somebody here and you need a new beginning. The immediate consequences, but there's also impending consequences. The effects of everything that has gone on in Genesis chapter 16 are far-reaching. Ishmael became the father of the Arab nations. The nations of the east, just east of Israel, all of those Palestinian nations. Ishmael is their father. A wild man. A controversial man. A man whose hand is against the children of Jacob and the children of Israel. And there's far-reaching consequences for the events of Genesis 16, verses 1 through to verse number 6. Sarah would give birth to Isaac. Isaac and Ishmael would ever be against each other, ever be at enmity, the one against the other. And we have today the Arab and the Israeli conflict raging in the Middle East since this day last week, bubbling under the surface. And now the whole pot is boiling over. And we see the principles and the prophecies of the Word of God unfolding before our very eyes. And the eyes of the world today are upon the Palestinian nations and the nation of Israel, the children of Isaac and the children of Ishmael. And you see the, the great danger and the far-reaching consequences of taking matters into your own hands, stepping outside the will of God, becoming impatient with God, no longer seeking the face of God in prayer, and employing worldly methods to try to get the will of God done in your life. The actions of Abraham for the rest of his days would ever be as a thorn in his own side, and the thorn in the side of his descendant from for generations to come, from Genesis 16, right until the climax of the ages, whenever Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes back again. This wonderful Christophany. What does it teach us? It simply teaches us that whatever your crisis is this morning, that you can bring Christ into your crisis. And if you humble yourself before him and submit yourself to him, he can meet you at the point of need and give you 
a new beginning. Time is gone this morning. Let's pray together. It's gone by so quickly. Let's unite our hearts together in prayer. And even in the closing moments of this service this morning, you can call upon the Lord. Maybe there's things that need to be put right. You need to return, make reconciliation, restitution, restore relationships that have been broken. But if God has spoken to your heart, submit yourself to Him. He sees you. He knows you. He speaks to your heart. And let's pray together. Loving God and everlasting Father, praise Thee, O Father, for a Savior that is able to meet us at the point of need, able to intervene in our circumstances, able to turn our lives around. Bless us now as we part company. Write Thy Word, O God, upon our hearts. Lead us on with Thyself. Hear and answer prayer. And may each and every one of us recognize that Thou, God, seest me. Speak into our hearts and lives and bring us into a new place with God. Hear and answer prayer. Glorify thy Son. For it's in his name and for thy glory we pray. Amen. Amen.